Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hello and welcome. Or should I say welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. It's Tuesday the 13th of November and I'm your host for the day, Jack Pitbrook. I'm afraid our editor and normal host Ed Malian is still in Sri Lanka covering the England cricket tour, so you are left with me. But today I'm lucky enough to be joined by independent chief football writer Miguel Delaney. Say hello, Miguel. Hello. And special guest ESPN's Liam Twomey. Hello, Liam. Hello. Is that the correct pronunciation of your surname? Twomey. Twomey, sorry. This is pronunciation, uh, surname pronunciation banter is terrible banter. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, on to. The, the football uh miguel and i were both at the manchester derby this sunday yeah um it feels a bit let's not go let's not dig too deep into a game that happened two days ago and is already long mm. forgotten by normal people everywhere um but we are now one third of the way into the premier league season uh and the table looks to still be to start taking shape city to what just ahead of Chelsea, a little bit, f- or two, what, two points ahead it's of Liverpool, uh, four points ahead of Chelsea. Yeah. Do you think they're going to start pulling away, Miguel? Yeah. I mean, even uh, this is something the Klopp has brought up a little bit now. And he said, oh, you know, I mean, well, Liverpool have one of the best starts in Premier League history, one of the best in their own history. And yet it's deemed kind of, or Klopp is arguing about how, oh, but now we're getting criticised because we don't win on a Man City way. But that's kind of the point as well, because it feels like, like Liverpool haven't been that good lately. They've been a bit flat. And it feels like, I think, I suppose what a lot of people predicted at the start of the season, they have to push themselves right to the limit to keep up with City, whereas City, it feels like, can still kind of, you know, motor along and they've got they've got more levels to go. Mm-hmm. And I think, even though the gap is so slight now, I think City will end up winning this title by about 10, 15 points. Well, the tell in the table is the goal difference, yeah. isn't it? I mean, City plus 31, that's a good... <laughs> well, Liverpool are plus 18, Chelsea plus 19. So the gap... I think is finally starting to reflect what the golf is. Yeah. Also, the XG, which if you're into that sort of thing, which Jose Mourinho <laughs> doesn't seem to be. Um, he had a bit of a go at stats on Sunday, but uh, isn't City basically are? I can't remember these miles figures, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's quite tough emotionally for the teams below them as well. Yeah. Because this is probably the best team Liverpool have had in the Premier League era. This Chelsea have started better than any any one could have predicted mm-hmm. under Sarri and the atmosphere has completely changed. None of it matters. Well, I, I, I was actually thinking about this yesterday because, I mean, we always see winning titles as absolutes in terms of kind of quality and things like that. Well, if, you, if you've won the league and, or you've got, won a series of leagues, then, um, you know, it's, it's beyond que- your, your quality, your inherent quality is beyond question. But I wouldn't, how many sides are there actually? I suppose, what are the best sides to never win a title and um, were they feasibly better than title winning sides because I mean this Liverpool if this city weren't around we'd be mm. lauding them yeah I, I, I completely agree I think we're seeing this strange um, I, I think that City's brilliance actually makes it very difficult to properly judge the other teams around them yeah yeah and I think that the we're in this like uh, City's rivals are clearly very very good in relative terms mm-hmm. as in relative to the rest of the Premier League because they're getting these amazing points totals 
but they're going to ultimately fail in the absolute yeah, sense of yeah. not winning the title. And that makes it difficult for us to judge them because, as you say, like through, circumstance, through circumstances beyond Liverpool's control, Jurgen Klopp will probably never win the Premier League with Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, to what extent is that his fault? And, and, and he's arguably better than some... His Liverpool is arguably better, even in relative terms, than some sides that have won the title. Um I mean, just certainly some of the weaker United sides I think you could say there were some some seasons where United won the league out of under Fergie yeah. almost out of habit really yeah yeah that's exactly the it, culture yeah. they built that's, that's, yeah but I said a better than Leicester 2016 even I mean you, you, it's it's almost so different near now you can't quite compare but I think they're better than Blackburn 95 and mm. even within the context of their own eras um, but yeah, I mean to go historical about it in that kind of way I mean if you look at a club like Fire or the 1970s, say who like won the European Cup, actually won their title, and yet the history has kind of forgotten that side because their main rivals were Ajax, who then went on and won three European Cups, dominated Holland, and obviously kind of changed the game tactically. Um, <laughs> it's actually quite similar to the debate that we have about Tottenham, yeah, which yeah. is that people say, well, Pochettino can't, people say that Pochettino's success. You can't really say that Pochettino's a success because he's not won a trophy. Yeah. And he's not he's not won the title, which of course is the most important trophy. But I kind of think that's bollocks. Like I think yeah. that if you look at the points I mean, I can't I haven't got the numbers off the top of my head, but the points totals that Spurs have got, particularly the fact they've come what's they've come second and third, they had I mean the twenty fifteen, sixteen and sixteen seventeen were basically two of the best Tottenham teams mm-hmm. of our of all of our lifetimes. Um the fact that it has not necessarily won a trophy does not I don't really think it's a strong argument against it. Yeah. I don't think, I think ultimately you have to judge, you have to look at, you have to look at the broader achievement and also the broader context mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean winning a trophy. And in regards to actually, Klopp might actually, uh, to some degree, be, well in terms of his legacy, not, not in terms of his bank account, be the greatest victim of this kind of super club era because he's at Dortmund then gets completely overtaken by a, you know, a, a super powered Bayern, again propelled by Pep, Goes to Liverpool, who are what the fourth, fifth wealthiest in England, but again, he actually takes them above their level. But again, you've got a superpowered Pep Guardiola side. Yeah, it's um, or you can look at Diego Simeone, who's mm. never going to win. Who's probably never going to win the Champions League, although he's come close twice. Yeah. The fact that he's, you know, he's never won. He's never managed a, you know, one of the very top tranche of super clubs. Yeah, he's obviously unbelievably good at his job. And yet, it feels like the very, very, very top end of the game is kind of mm. just beyond his reach. Well, and you, as you say, Jack. I mean, obviously, we might have to change the way we judge these teams, but I think it's just as interesting how they define their own success in the next few years. Because for this year, mm. I mean, Chelsea are quite happy to, as long as Sarri gets them into the top four, that is job done yeah. for this season. Um, but in the long term, I mean, Liverpool fans are absolutely desperate to win the title, yeah. aren't they? And uh, and that is what Klopp came came there primarily to do and you know United <laughs> do, 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 <laughs> at some point are going to yeah. hope to be relevant again but I mean, just, just by you sheer, don't see it by, by critical mass of numbers because the amount of money United have they, they will just fall a year where kind mm. of they're back in it uh, maybe not under Mourinho um, but I, actually in relation to I was actually just, as you were saying that there I was thinking well, there are suggestions that Pep won't last that long maybe another two years Um and so maybe the, maybe the challenge for Klopp is going to just outlast him. Hmm. Um, but then the, the, like Klopp has suffered burnout himself before. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're already thinking about when will Pep go? Like he's, so his contract is up in 2021. 
Mm. Although I wonder whether he might go the season before 2020, particularly if City have won the Champions League by yeah. then, if they win it this year or next year. Um, because that will itself be his fourth season. I don't imagine that he'd want to do a fifth. So we're already thinking, like, who's going to be most ready for 2020, 2021 when City yeah. are presumably managed by Mikel Arteta? And then, like, w- yeah, it's like, will Klopp still be there after five years at Liverpool or will mm. he have burnt out? Yeah. Will it be Pochettino's Man United uh, or will it be, like, will Sarri still be at Chelsea or b- will this be the point that, that Emery's Arsenal peak or by then will, you know, will Emery have kind of burnt out yeah. and they'll have had someone else? So there's so, like, it's... I I already I don't have any I already sense that people are starting to kind of position themselves for this kind of post yeah. reality. Well, it's, it's, because we, you do feel maybe even not overtly yet, but there's a bit of well, while Guardiola's here, we can all write off the title. Yeah, well, I think I think I, I fear that's true. I think mm. I think that there's no like everything that Pep, everything that City hoped would happen with Pep. Yeah, like continuing to improve after even get even if, even after last year is coming true. Like even. I don't know whether City are going to get 100 points. It's statistically unlikely they'll get 100 yeah. points. But they are a better team than they were last year. They're going to get year. over 90. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely, I think they're definitely yeah. going to get 95. Yeah. Well, the interesting question of the whole post-Pep reality, though, and I think you guys might be better placed to comment given that you cover City a, a little bit more often. Um, but from the outside, he doesn't look like he's feeling the strain yeah. of this as much as he was at Barcelona, particularly at Barcelona, but also maybe towards the end of his time yeah. at Bayern. Maybe if they fail again in the Champions League, that, that could change his well, mindset and take a toll. But I, I it looks do, quite I, easy yeah. for him at the moment. I, I do think he feels basically um, C- City is just a lot, uh, how to put it, a lot less, low, a lot lower maintenance basically. Mm-hmm. Than, I mean, Bayern is one thing, but then, especially for Catalan, Barcelona is something else altogether. And the word that kind of people like Soriano use about, about Barcelona is about, it's an oven. And that you know the temperature is always going up until and you know for for someone that feels it as much as Guardiola, you just you, know, you just run out of energy there. You can't you can't quite sustain it anymore. Um, and I guess at Bayern the, you've got so many other voices as well yeah. above you to deal with. Whereas City, he seems to be the, but the, the face the, of it all. There could be a weird thing now with, with City actually because I mean at Barcelona, particularly to be fair, when Mourinho was still closer to his peak as a manager, and at those two seasons when they were they were winning what eighty percent of their games, Barca and Real. So it, it meant that there was actually an odd pressure every week, even though the presumption... Uh, sorry, Miguel, can you speak a little bit more into your microphone? It keeps falling. Uh, can you... Sorry, listeners, you are actually going to have to listen to this as we do it. <laughs> if, you, if, you twist, if you twist the thing... No, on the other side. Twist that to loosen it. Okay. Can we t- can uh, to loosen it and then raise it up okay. near your face, then twist it again the other direction to tighten it. Doesn't really work. There we go. Taking you behind the scenes of the indie <laughs> Sorry, yeah. No, I mean, can, can we not, edit this? Uh, I actually think we shouldn't. I think we should leave it in to make it organic. Raw Every quality. week there is something like this. Yeah. Like, um, sorry, I, I cut you off mid flow about, yeah, so, about oven. So Barcelona yeah, is an oven. So, but yeah, so, <laughs> so basically, um, City, or sorry, but Barcelona. Even though like the presumption was that Real and Barca would win every would win eighty percent of their games, that there was a that created an escalating pressure because if if you dropped any point, you were kind of finished, which is, is not the case now, but. It could be the complete opposite, and where City really only end up with like four or five high-pressure games a season, and they're all Champions League games. Because yeah. suddenly, because the, the league is such a presumption, it, it, more like the Bayern situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I, I think Pep has, compared to the reality of his life at Barcelona and Bayern Munich, Pep has a very, very low-pressure life at City. Like he lives only like there's no there's no politics because the club is run by his mates. 
who are not elected and who are you know who basically have complete freedom to run the club as appointed by Abu Dhabi. They're all enthralled him. Yeah, everyone worships him. He, you know, they lay out the. The, I was going to say red carpet, the, blue carpet. the sky blue carpet for him <laughs> at City. He can do whatever he wants. His mates sign the players. Uh, there is no elections. Um, it's all very nice. And there's no like, there's not really much media pressure. City are not a big story, really. Mm. Uh, it's not like, it's not, it's not like at Barcelona where he'd pick up Sport and Mundo Deportivo every day and there'd be like 20 pages of yeah, Barcelona yeah. coverage. Um, so it's actually quite low pressure. Like he can, you know, he, all he has to do is drive from his kind of nice big flat in is it Salford or wherever it is he's living centrally I'm not sure um, they actually bought him a flat on like Jose didn't they yeah so he was living in a nice big fancy flat in I think just outside central Manchester I think it was in Salford mm. I'm not sure if he now lives in Hale or Altrincham or somewhere uh, you can google it listeners <laughs> uh, you know but all he does is drive to the, the CFA do training do the, the, the kind of sponsors media stuff that he has to do and drive home it's actually, it's actually quite a kind of it's quite a chilled life yeah. and I think that means that he is less likely to burn out but I do think you make a good point that the like it, the Premier League is now so easy for City that that does kind of ratchet up the pressure on the Champions League games yeah. and even though even though City are improving in a way which I want to bring up in a second I do think that Ultimately, like <laughs> I, th- I wonder whether we'll get into a situation where there'll be so much pressure on those the Champions League. Yeah, when City finally play a good team in the Champions League, in the presumably in the quarters or semis, it will it will just collapse again. Which is the story of this time yeah. with Bayern. And I, I mean, I know, and maybe kind of listeners might think we're making excuses for Klopp one sense and now Guardiola for the for that. But there is, I mean, there are kind of wider kind of structural issues there in the sense you know Klopp is obviously fight, fighting the tide and financially. And Guardiola now is just there is that odd psychology to it all. I mean, you're on, you're on such a level, yeah. of, you know, kind of coasting at a level, and then suddenly you have to build yourself up. And I and that that's been the kind of the, it the could, Bayern problem. Basically, Pep's quality as a manager, Pep's immense quality as a manager, could could mean that his legacy is actually tarnished because he he never gets that third or fourth Champions League yeah. because of, because of precisely this issue. The one thing that I wanted to say, which I meant to say earlier, is that uh, one. If you want proof that City are improving, they I think they only lost two games in Premier League last mm. year. Liverpool away, Manchester United at home. Liverpool away was 4-3, United at home was 3-2. This year, they've already gone to Liverpool away and they should have won 1-0, yeah. but Mahrez missed that penalty in the end. But they defended much better. They didn't get overrun by Liverpool and they emerged with a creditable point. Uh, so that's an improvement. And then United at home, instead of losing 3-2, they managed to win it 3-1 mm. in a game which could have been similar to that one, but in fact they were better. So that's both defeats last year chalked off. And I know we, yeah, I mean, the chances are they will get beaten at some point, mm. but they've, ma- they've managed to not get beaten in the two games they got beaten last year. And they've already been to Tottenham. Uh, and they've got Stamford Did Bridge away coming up soon. And they've been to Arsenal. And they've got Chelsea away coming up on that's December early the 8th. December, yeah. um, if they get through that, then I think... You know the the chances of City going through the season unbeaten yeah. will start to increase. But this, this is also uh, it was a better derby for them. That's a, every derby so far that you, the Mourinho and Guardiola have played, there's been like a half an hour, forty minute spell where City have looked like they could absolutely thrash United on several levels. Yeah. And weirdly, the game always ends up nervy, which in some cases United actually pulling off a result like last season. But this time, it, it never really happened, and City ultimately just kind of with, with like with that goal at the end. Asserted their superiority, mm. and the thing I found funniest about the whole 
post-match discussion of Sterling showboating and disrespect mm. and was that I actually thought the most disrespectful thing City did in the entire game was the 42 pass know, yeah, leading yeah, to yeah, the completely. third goal and the fact that it ends with Gundogan having the time to take a touch yeah, six yeah, yards yeah, out yeah, exactly before. yeah the, that you don't see that happening in mm. big games. Well, it, well, even like, obviously, because when we're at the game and you're kind of riding live, you're not quite watching it the same way. Particularly not at the right at the end. To be honest, you're lucky if you're watching it at all. Yeah, yeah. So I, I watched I watched the clip yesterday again just to get a, get a proper read on the Sterling showboating. And I, it wasn't that bad. It was so innocuous. But I, I think what you're saying is right. It was the kind of the ease at which City were pulling off four yard passes right outside the 18, the United 18 yard box was much worse for you. And you get a sense that that's what Maddow was really pissed yeah, off. There was about. a long sequence where Sane and Foden, who both come up from the bench, yeah. were just passing it to each other, like jogging around mm. while tired United defenders failed to get anywhere near them. Yeah. And that must have been really dispiriting. And again, you can tell it with like that 42 pass move. Um, that's kind of a typical Pep goal, isn't it? It's like pass, 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 pass until basically the opposition becomes so like disoriented and tired yeah. that they that they open themselves up, and then you can wait and wait and wait until the op- until the opening, yeah, and and then get through. So it was, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get too bogged down in the details of Sunday, but it was a really it was, in the end, it was a very comprehensive yeah, win, City, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, actually, uh, and just one other thing, there's been obviously a lot of follow up since about Mourinho and what he thinks of his players and wanted to buy more players, and in this entire argument about how the uh, the City squad, uh, Guardiola inherited, and the, and the Mourinho squad, or the United squad, Mourinho inherited, all the rest of it. But I was just thinking, actually, and this is basically the second time that, <laughs> well, actually, it's almost happened in all, of, in all of his jobs where he stayed more than two years, um, where then he started to get pissy and moany about transfers and complaining, oh, I can't possibly work with this. Uh, I don't know what you think about this, Liam, especially from Chelsea, but... I think as much as anything, it points to the fact that Mourinho just doesn't coach players. Maybe he never has in that regard. Mm. That he gets a response out, and then he can't get more. Now, and his only solution is, well, I want to buy better players. Well, I get the sense he didn't used to be like that. You know, mm. you talk to. But he never stayed in the job long enough. No, but mm. you talk to players and and people that work with Mourinho yeah. in his first spell at Chelsea, and he really was a training ground coach yeah. who who worked with guys actively, looked to improve them in yeah, specific yeah, yeah. areas. Where now, I mean, even before Rui Faria left him. Mm. The word was he was Faria was taking all the sessions and mm. he was very much taking a back seat and and now I mean I don't know who's mm. taking the sessions at United but I'm betting Cal Carrick's not, involved as well yeah yeah it's not it's still not Mourinho they, they, so he the, seems the players be, really like Carrick and McKenna but sorry right yeah but I mean it, he he does seem to be a lot more hands off and I mm. think that does affect I mean we we've talked before about his not being able to reach the new generation yeah. of players on like an emotional level but. Yeah, he hasn't mm. improved anyone tactically at United, I think, and 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 it, even even the players he's bought, he's kind of grown frustrated with his own inability, yeah, well, I think, to improve them. Well, Fred, like I mean, Jason Burke did a good piece today at the Telegraph about how Fred actually sums up a lot of United's problems. What was the point of that? Why did they buy him? And because like, mm. if, if, the word I've heard as well is that Mourinho now, you know, is already thinking, ah, yeah. <laughs> not for me. And a player City looked at as well. Yeah. I mean, if he yeah, ended tried, up in, in that Simon, City team, you, you imagine how different his fortunes would have been. 50, it was only for the fact that um, so it was only when Sane got injured at Cardiff um, in January of this year that City pulled out of that deal for Fred, which was basically done. Yeah. Because uh, they thought they needed an extra midfielder and then they went for Mares and didn't get Mares, mm. but then they didn't go back for Fred in the end anyway. So Fred was very nearly a City player. Mm. So it's clearly there. There is something there. I mean, another sorry. What one more observation from Sunday? How bad was Herrera? I mean, yeah, I never yeah. really watched United, so 
I kind of, and when people talk about United's midfield struggles, all they ever talk about is Fellaini. Fellaini's much better than Herrera. <laughs> Fellaini's like useful going forward and he's not worse on the ball. Herrera gets caught, I mean, Herrera gets caught in possession all the this time. Is like, I mean, Fellaini gets, to a degree, rightfully gets criticism as Mourinho's solution to everything. He's essentially just launching the ball up to him. But he's actually performing better as a footballer than both Herrera and Matic right now. And Maric has been atrocious. And yeah. I, I, I know a few people at United have misgivings about how slowly Maric moves the ball, um, mm. which is a, a problem. And moves with the ball, which is something yeah, yeah. that Chelsea, Chelsea fans got particularly frustrated yeah. with him, particularly towards the end of his time. The interesting thing with Herrera, I think, is that of the United squad, I think him and Ashley Young have probably dedicated themselves more single-mindedly to just being Mourinho soldiers yeah, yeah, yeah. on the pitch than anyone else. And maybe it's the cost of what Herrera's done to his own game, where yeah. he used to be a very technical-minded, quite creative midfielder when he was at, at Athletic. Yeah. And he seems to have become a totally different player who's just concentrating on, on destruction rather than... Yeah, I have to say, I think Young looked pretty... Um, looked pretty... He, he didn't look at his best, basically, and on Sunday. I thought he looked pretty slow. Um, and I wonder how much longer Mourinho will be able to keep using him in that position. But then it says a lot for Mourinho's coaching that he's kind of ended up using Young as an auxiliary fullback for so much of his time at United. <laughs> isn't, that a, isn't that a bit of a problem as well? That if players can realise that they can get into Mourinho's team just by being, you know, Loyal. Lick, lickspittles, yeah. uh, rather than actually good <laughs> players. Because, I mean, how often, has every job since Inter, basically, Mourinho's ended up going on some rant about rats and kind of you know, leaks and all this. Uh, so <laughs> this does evidently feed into his mind. And the amount of talented players he ends up mistrusting because of some perceived slight... I mean, the Bailly situation, like, Bailly is, by, by, by distance, the most talented centre-half of that club. Yeah. I think he could be absolutely brilliant yeah. under a different manager in a different system. I th- so is his issue with Bailly, like, is that because of a perceived slight? Or? I, I think it goes back to last season and the suggestion that Bailly should have been ready for games where he wasn't, or I can't remember the exact details, but it was along oh, yeah. those lines that it was... Um, so he said he wasn't ready for one game and was back for another. But yeah, again, it just... Well, physical frailty is a yeah. perceived slight for Mourinho. Yeah, we yeah, know exa- this. exactly. Yeah. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Excellent. Well, um, should we move on to International Week? Oh, God. Uh, Miguel's obviously very much looking forward to it. Going to um, for all of it. The, <laughs> as you probably know, England play... The USA MNT on Thursday night in the Wayne Rooney Foundation International at Wembley, and then on Sunday it's England Croatia in the Nations League. 
uh, which could, which is a huge game. In the, if England lose, they will be relegated into the League B for the next iteration of the Nations League. But if England win, and if Spain fail to win in Croatia on Thursday night, then England will be through to the finals, most likely taking place in Portugal in June. Um, but before then, it's the Wayne Rooney game. There's been lots, lots and lots and lots of attention on this over the last uh, week or so. Uh, I'm actually slightly surprised by how much uh, how much emotion it stirred up. Um, Miguel, what do you think? The whole issue is complete bollocks. It's really, I mean, a lot of so overall. I can't believe in a, in a week when all the football league stuff came out, it's actually amazing it occupied this much attention. Uh, who cares if he plays? So what? It's just, it's, I think as you put it, you know, it's friendly against you. Oh no, Rooney's coming on. Rather, right? I don't know. Danny Ings is he? In? Mm. <laughs> no, not obviously not Danny Ings. I think it feels like an extension of what happened throughout Rooney's England career, which is that everyone quite quickly realised that there was currency in the Rooney debate. No matter what he mm. did, no matter what, um, no matter what part of his game it was about, whether it was what he was doing on the pitch or indiscretions mm. off the pitch, there is currency on taking sides and 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 voicing opinions. And I think some of that has happened here because. As an as an actual issue, it's minuscule yeah. in importance, is it? I mean, it, it, it generates interest in a game that, I think you've said this, Jack, otherwise wouldn't have a lot of interest or value at all. And um, I, th- I just think it's quite nice. I don't, you know, it, it, it's not something England have done, but that doesn't mean they mm. should rule out ever doing it for anyone. And if you're going to do it for anyone, maybe you should do it for yeah. your all-time top goal scorer. In fact, it almost again, and this, this similar happened in the World Cup when okay, selected the... The second string side for the uh, for the Belgium game the, in the group stage, it's actually a reflection of how well things are going for England. That yeah. that such innocuous rubbish gets such uh, focus. Yeah, I have to say, I've been when when the news first came out, I didn't really have an opinion about it, and yeah. then I read lots of opinions the next day, <laughs> and I was shocked by the level of pomposity <laughs> of those opinions. The idea that, like, the, the, I guess what it boils down to is the idea that. Playing a anyone who plays for an England or any the winning of any cap in an England international must be seen with this kind of ludicrous reverence, yeah. as if it is the most basically the most important thing in the world, yeah. <laughs> and that it must only be given for the most important and serious reasons, and that any like any decision which moves away from that which does not reach that level of supreme seriousness is to devalue and scorn the cap forever <laughs> it's absolutely preposterous yeah. like i i could not believe i mean i i genuinely couldn't believe some of the stuff that i was reading about it and i've you know i voiced some opinions about this on twitter which people disagreed with uh, and i don't i don't think I don't think it's the best idea in the world i don't think it's a perfect idea i think you can say yeah. well why did they only announce it a few days before it happened? Or why why is the Wayne Rooney Foundation not receiving any of the gate receipts yeah. of the game? Or, you know, why was it Southgate's decision or was it presented to Southgate? Yeah. I think it was probably presented to, to Southgate. And I would Southgate have chosen it himself? I'm not sure he would. I think Southgate's gone along with it because yeah. it was taken to him. But despite all of that, I like I think that Rooney deserves it. Yeah. Like he's not a competition winner, despite what some, yeah. <laughs> the way some of the people are writing about him. As if well, they just pluck somebody out the stands and say, "Do you want to play for England?" He's, he's actually this this squad's greatest trophy winner. Yeah, he's like <laughs> a, he he's genuinely the greatest England player of his generation by so far. 
he is still a footballer. He's 33 years old. He's been playing very well in the MLS uh, for DC United. Um, he is completely like, if we are going to do this for anyone, then we should do it for Rooney. Yeah. And also, just because we are doing it for Rooney doesn't mean that we will do it for everyone else. It's obviously a unique yeah. circumstance. I mean, like the next time somebody comes along and scores 53 international goals, yeah. then maybe they'll get it. But it's not like we're going to be doing it for every England player who retires over the next year or so. G- Giovanni Trapattoni did it for Baggio in 2004. And, you know, nice yeah. thing. That's one well, of the things... It, fe- it feels like some of the opinions were formed like sort of divorcing themselves from the reality that we live in a world yeah. where Jay Bothroyd is an England well, I, international. I was actually... David Nugent. Nicky Shorey is an interna- I, 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 England I, I, international. I was, I was, Kevin Davis. As Jack was saying, I was genuinely about to go, to go off on a tangent <laughs> and to be slightly mean for a bit. What... England call-ups have devalued the cap more, the idea of a cap well, more. I think that's mean. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's mean. But you could, I mean, if I were mean, I would say <laughs> Jay Bothwell, uh, David Nugent, yeah. Stephen Warnock, Stephen uh, Warnock. Um, oh, uh, Ricky Lambert has played a few games mm. for England. Um, Frank Kelly made a squad. Is it, mm? Kelly actually made a... a yeah, a, Kelly a went to Euro 2012. Yeah. Um, as a sporkle answer for you, you know, in, in, in England and England. So Southgate's got this new habit of taking four goalkeepers mm. because I think for training purposes. So Marcus Bettinelli uh, is in as a fourth goalkeeper. I mean, a man who's not exactly keeping lots of clean sheets of Fulham. So the base of the worst defence. Yeah, in the is, that, is, that, is it devaluing England an England call up to t- to call up a fourth goalkeeper? Like it's yeah. just it's just weird to make this to turn to like apply this strangely <laughs> puritanical standard to what it must mean to win an England cap. Well, this is, I think, goes back to what, what I said a few minutes ago, which is I think people realise there's currency in the Rooney yeah. debate. Yeah. And people Completely, yeah. decide to take sides because they know that he in himself has always been a very divisive and emotive player. So if you take an emotive stance on it actually, something like this, then you'll get engagement on it. And it's not quite the same thing, but about... It is the same thing in the sense of the value placed on the cap and the shirt. I remember when, and not to bring it back, always back to this, but two years after the 2002 World Cup, when Roy Keane was um, persuaded back for the, uh, by Brian Kerr to come back for Ireland, uh, there was this, I remember this massive debate on TV in which kind of this, uh, this old football writer, Peter Burr, went on this, you know, massive spiel about, oh, it devalues the shirt. Which, as Jack says, what it comes down to, it's nonsense. Like, <laughs> it's, you know, they're wider issues and a kind of a, an imagined um, mm. but it is quite nice that it is that a conversation like this mm. is happening because it means there aren't many real problems yeah, yeah. that true, Southgate yeah. has to deal with everything's going well yeah and it mean, and also like um, Southgate was always going to play a second string team for this game because it's, it's a friendly on a Thursday and we've got a competitive game Sunday lunchtime so the team on the team on Thursday will be mm. like Michael Keane Callum Wilson Fabian Delph, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, uh, maybe even Jaden Sancho. That's why he's called up people like Delph and Loftus-Cheek mm. who were well, also said who he dropped for the last set of internationals so that he could play them in this game. Mm. He can also I, said he wanted to take a look at Mason Mount, didn't he? Yeah. But Mount was yeah. injured. Can I be even meaner? Does it devalue the cap more that it comes against a team that couldn't even qualify ahead of Panama? Yeah, a team which... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I was... Um, I remember being at the England-Panama game in Nizhny Novgorod. Uh, and being like overwhelmed by how bad Panama were, and thinking, how on earth did the USA finish below yeah. them in the hex? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hex. And then tweeting something like, three of these four Panama defenders playing the MLS, yeah. and getting about a million replies from uh, fans of the MLS. Yeah. Um, but I was looking through the USA MNT roster earlier, yeah. 
and I kind of hadn't. I I I didn't. There's. It's not like there. There was a time when the USA had lots of established Premier League players, but now that yeah. isn't true. Like there's DeAndre Yedlin, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers. Obviously, we all know about Pulisic. Yeah. Um, there's like a few other younger players who are based in Germany, but it's mm. it's not a. There's Matt Miazga, Chelsea legend. Yep. Uh, it's yeah, it's it, it's a young squad, but not a squad which is very well known by Premier League by English be, standards. To be honest, what about what is it now? Twenty-two years on from the MLS's formation, I would have thought it would be a superior kind of base league for international players. That, that, that hasn't quite. Do you mean like yet. a place for international players to go to? No, no. Or do you more, mean to produce more, players more, of yeah, international more, standards? Yeah, exactly. More so that it would have a higher level of US international players. Well, I think uh, this goes back to a key issue that affected Klinsman's time yeah. in charge of the team because from from what I've read. He came in and basically immediately objected to the American system where you have colleges feeding yeah, into the draft yeah. for the MLS because he's like, this needs to be professionalized like in Europe where yeah. every club has an academy and they get top class coaching rather than college level coaching. Yeah. Um, college yeah. coaching in the US is brilliant for basketball, for yeah. NFL, but soccer maybe but, not but so much. I mean, my colleague of mine, Dave Hannigan, did a big piece, in the, a former colleague of mine in Ireland, he's living in the US now, about how if you want top coaching for your kids in, in soccer you actually have to pay for it yeah uh, high, high level soccer in the u.s is actually very class based mm. in the sense that like every everybody knows everybody can play soccer but obviously if you want yeah if, if you want to play for mm. like a proper club you've got to go and pay thousands of dollars to like a, and they'll have like a good coach yeah but well, it's, it's inverted the system yeah it's the, but you're, you're right there's like they've got a f- they've got quite a lot of structural issues one of which is the fact that tr- I mean, this is hopefully changing now, but traditionally, like the most talented athletes, you know, you would go and play baseball or football yeah, or basketball yeah. rather than soccer. And that meant that, I mean, there are probably, lot, there are probably quite lots of people who would be very good soccer players, mm. but they're like well, Tom Brady. There's a finite pool of yeah, athletic they're probably talent, Tom Brady or Steph Curry yeah. or whoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember uh, last year I went to Dortmund to go and interview Christian Pulisic. He's a really ni- nice lad. And one of the things he was saying is that like, the most important thing in his career is the fact that his grandfather's Croatian because it meant that mm-hmm. he could get an EU passport, which meant that he could go to Dortmund when he was like 15 or 16 and mm-hmm. be part of like one of the best academies in the world. Whereas previously he was playing for like his team Hershey Classics. In Hershey, <laughs> in Her- I, th- I think that's what they were called. Or P- Pennsylvania <laughs> Classics. Uh, who were like, I'm sure were like a really good club with really good mm-hmm. facilities and everything, but it's not the same as being at Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, yeah. And he, he pointed out a few other examples of boys his age who had been lucky enough to make that switch to Europe when they were like 15 or 16. Yeah. And, but ultimately, his argument was that more and more, like, they're not going to become a top football nation if the players are learning the game in the US. Yeah. They need to move to, to Europe. And that's why, I mean, like Carter Vickers, for example, is born in South End. His dad's American. Yeah. And he's And he's been spent his whole life at the Tottenham Academy. Yeah. I mean, it feels like the problem that Japan had actually about 10, 15 years ago. And maybe this is an issue of new football cultures and trying to kind of impose a kind of a football culture on top of a country. Because where basically a lot of the players are, they're kind of trained to a relatively acceptable technical level. But they're all kind of, there's not much differentiation. There's no, there's not much individual style. It's kind of just almost factory produced footballers. Yes. That, that I think that's a really good critique of the US system because, I mean, it's slightly different now with this generation of Pulisic, search. Mm. But before, they were they produced footballers who were basically like Australian footballers. Yeah. As in, they were really hardworking. They were quite predictable. But they they looked like 
I mean, they wouldn't really produce. They didn't really have that much individuality yeah, or style. Yeah, yeah. They were just like cogs. Basically. Yeah, like like Brian McBride mm. or Michael Bradley L- or Lan Donovan or Michael Man- Michael Bradley's a great example. Yeah, um, on Gucci, Gucci and Yewu, uh, Kobe yeah. Jones. Well, actually, some, in fact, even I suppose the U.S. internationals that have had the, the most success in Premier League have been like that kind of just really hard-working, dependable players. Dempsey, like McBride, yeah. yeah, and uh, and lots of goalkeepers. Yeah, because it's maybe it's as hard to, to to coach young goalkeepers. Mm. Um, and uh, I think that's probably as much as we need to do on the international break. Um, but there is some big international football mm-hmm. around the corner, Miguel. Yeah. You're going to Argentina? I am, yeah, next week. Yeah. Uh, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, for the second leg, well, the last ever second leg of uh, Copa Libertadores final. Uh, because from next year, it's going to um, the kind of Champions League format of having it in one city around the continent. Very excited about it. Um, so you're so you're going to the River Stadium, yeah, Monumental, which held a 1978 World Cup final. Oh wow! And what was, what happened in the first leg? Two all draw uh, after the shambles of it being delayed. Um, River probably an advantage now, given it will go to away goals, um, and you know they they're going to play at home now with no away fans there. Although could I mean the, the one thing I was I was doing a fair bit of research for piece we're doing next week yesterday. And kind of two two things that kind of struck about the Libertadores. First of all, the relative unpredictability of it compared to the Champions League in the sense of um, basically as I, that that game on Saturday. I was I was watching or sorry on Sunday. I was I was watching a lot of it the next day because we were actually at the, at the Pep Guardiola Mourinho press conferences during it. But there's not exactly any kind of caginess or tension or anxiety that you would associate with a final. It was just kind of this this raw nature to it. And I think that's something that goes right through the Libertadores. Um, I, I do wonder, because I'm doing a piece next week on how, for the majority of the Libertadores history, and particularly when they met European teams in the Intercontinental Cup, South America was superior. And like the story of the Libertadores is basically the story of the best players on the planet. Like in 1962, uh, Santos played Benfica, and it was this big narrative about Eusebio against, against Pelé. Pelé scored five goals over two legs and nutmegged Eusebio for one of them. Um, 1981, Liverpool winning everything in sight. Go play Flamengo. Granted, in Japan, and, and Liverpool complained about the trip, but Zico absolutely destroys them. Uh, there's a great story about, in 92, Socrates' brother, um, Rai, who won the World Cup with Brazil in 94. They're playing Bar- Barca's dream team, one of the first moments of the game. Rai basically does an overhead back heel over Guardiola's head, and Guardiola didn't know where he was. So like the story was almost throughout a lot of the history was of um, the South American sides kind of humiliating European stars, with that then abruptly stopping around the turn of the century. Really, it started to stop. I mean, uh, there were twenty six victories for Libertadores sides against the European sides, and seventeen of them came before the birth of the Champions League and the the 18th and 19th came in the first two seasons of the Champions League which obviously shows the kind of the, the transformation of the game because suddenly you know, globalisation financial disparity meant that all not just all the best players in South America but basically anyone with any sort of talent was going to Europe leaving us with the squads that we saw are, are there any are there any good players in that we can expect to see uh, we've, we've got uh, Carlos there uh, Carlos Tevez he came off the bench the other day um, Perez, who has obviously played in the World Cup for Argentina, Enzo Perez. Yeah, he's um, he's pulled a hamstring. Is um, Fernando Gago there. Yeah, oh, he was also on the bench on Saturday. Sorry, is he River or Boca? He's uh, Boca. Um, 
does the, the striker actually scored for for River um, Pardo, uh, who's probably a, a, among the most. Uh, <laughs> basically who who will be tailed after this game but yeah I mean if you compare that but essentially these are players that without being too harsh either weren't good enough to go to Europe early or are kind of like Tevez or Gago are on the way back from Europe kind of an, an emotional return to uh, to their clubs and it's it does kind of point to kind of the, the, the tragedy of modern football in that way any sort of uh, competitive variety has, has disappeared. It's so concentrated in Europe now. Although mm. the flip side is that it's arguably made the Libertadores a purer competition. It's pure just, in uh, what just, sense? Just a competition of faded powers, but still it, very pure. Uh, pure in the sense, I mean, as absolutely brilliant as the Champions League is at the latter stages, that's because all, all the top quality is concentrated at the kind of the eight or nine teams that should be in the quarterfinals. Yeah. So you're kind of waiting for that, really. And it, it still it still has this kind of cosmetic sheen, whereas there's much more of um, there's much more adaptation, I suppose, required in 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 South America. There's much more of a level playing field. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think it, it, it just it, it, it does it does have a quality that the uh, that the Champions League doesn't doesn't quite anymore. Just a level of unpredictability, maybe. Yeah. Did we did we ever figure out whether Leandro Paredes actually deliberately got sent off in that Russian league game so he could be at the first leg? Did you hear about this story? Oh, go on. Um, he plays for Zenit. Oh, yeah. And uh, he he basically had to fend off accusations in Argentina that he was he was a boyhood Boca fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, deliberately got well, he got sent off for kicking an opponent. Yeah. That just so happened to free him up for the weekend of the first leg. To, to go to La Bombonera and, and, and watch it. So. Yeah, I remember reading some, some quotes from Eric Lamella over the weekend saying that he hoped that his flight from London to Argentina to join up with the Argentina national team after Tottenham's game against Crystal Palace on Saturday would not be at a time that would clash with the game because obviously he started his career mm. at River, as did West Ham's Manuel Lanzini. Miguel, you got yeah. any last any last words Actually, on it, the Libertadores? I'm interested tomorrow, who, who is obviously part Argentine, and he actually went back to. He specifically wanted to end his career, so he could at River, so he could play in the uh, in the Super Classico. Are you a River man or a Boca man? Um, I, was to, I was kind of thinking about this because we were discussing Wilson, who's obviously <laughs> written, literally written the book on Argentina, and I actually have a Boca jersey which I used to play five side in that. But it is a better jersey, isn't it? It's a better colour scheme. Uh, I do wonder how much is that. So basically, it comes down to Maradona. Maradona is associated mm. with uh, with Boca, um, so I just almost have this kind of instinctive preference for them. Um, they, but they're, they're much more. I think Boca, Boca claim forty percent of support in Argentina, where River is twenty six percent. I know that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, guys, we've got to go. Uh, thank you very much for listening. If you've made it this far. Uh, we hope that we'll be back again next Monday where we will be looking back on the Wayne Rooney Foundation International against the USA and England Croatia and making did, deciding what we've made of the first Nations League campaign. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 